Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Hey, welcome to Branch Life Online. We're glad that you are worshiping with us today as we launch into a brand new series called Reintroducing Jesus. This is part one of our study of Matthew series. And no matter where you are on your faith journey, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're exploring Jesus, or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, we think this series will be an encouragement and a challenge to you as we study maybe one of the most consequential books of the Bible, the very first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. We're going to worship through songs and then jump into our Matthew series in just a couple of moments. And one of the songs we're going to sing together is our theme song for this series. And if you don't know it, I encourage you to look it up, to listen to it throughout the rest of this week as we're going to visit it over and over again during this series. It's called King of Kings, and it's a fantastic song for us to know and learn and to add to our library. Thank you to so many of you who give to Branch Life on a regular basis. Your generosity is overwhelming, and God is doing incredible things through your gifts. He is taking what you're giving, and he is multiplying it in ways that I just can't even explain. So thank you so much for giving. You can do that anytime at branchlife.church slash give. We want to uh, use this Sunday, this opportunity, this online worship service to connect with you. We believe we're better together. So before you go, please go ahead and fill out that connection card online. It's being linked in your chat platform next to you, or you can go to branchlife.church and click on the connection time anytime. Whether this is your first time worshiping with us or you're with us every week, whether you're watching the premiere or you're uh, uh, participating later in the week or later in the month on a pre-recording, a rebroadcast, go ahead and fill out that connection card. Thanks again for worshiping with us today. We hope that today you will be blessed in God's word. All right, ready when you are. Well, we're diving into this series, Reintroducing Jesus, all of the book of Matthew. I'm excited about what God has for us and what he has ahead in this study. We're just beginning our trek through the entire book of Matthew. We're going to break it up into smaller series. And today is series number one called Reintroducing Jesus because that's what Matthew is doing in his book. If you were ever in Rio, right, Rio de Janeiro, where the Olympics were a few years ago, If you were in that town and you looked up to the highest peak, you would find Christ the Redeemer. This statue, which is over 2,300 feet off of the ground, the statue itself is just under 100 feet uh, tall and 95 feet wide from fingertip to fingertip, is a statue that was built and put over a course of five years, being finished in 1931, and it stands at the top of this entire city. No matter where you are in Rio, you can look up and you can see the statue of Christ the Redeemer. And guess what? Everybody asks at some point as they land in this town, as they grow up in this particular part of the world, or they see these pictures. They see this ginormous statue at the top of the hill and they go, who is that? Who's that statue of? 
and everybody in Rio has an opinion about who it is. Well, it's a statue of Jesus. It's a statue of Christ the Redeemer. And now they say, well, why is there a statue of a guy named Jesus over top of our whole town, over top of our whole village? Who was Jesus? And why, <coughs> excuse me, why is he so important that he gets the biggest statue in the entire town? No matter who you are, no matter where you've grown up, that same question is true of all of us. You see, we're all asking the question, who is Jesus? It's not a question just for one town. It's a question for the entire world. And it's an incredibly important question. It may be the question. Everybody's asking, who is Jesus? Now, everybody has an opinion about who Jesus is. You see, when you ask yourself this question, who is Jesus, you have a couple of options. Either you think Jesus is a fraud, he's someone who's totally tricked everyone. Maybe you think Jesus is an accident, like there's this somehow, even out of his control, the story has been spun. Maybe he's a good teacher, a moral guy, a, a, an interesting spiritual leader. Maybe he is God himself and divine. Maybe he's dead or maybe he's alive. Uh, maybe you're angry at Jesus. Maybe you celebrate Jesus. Maybe you walk with Jesus on a regular basis. And maybe you just think Jesus is a relic of the past. You see, we all have an answer to this important question. The question, who is Jesus? Now, N.T. Wright gives us a great example of everybody, all of us having to wrestle with this. N.T. Wright says from the get-go in this quote that he as a historian and not a believer in Jesus, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is inevitably the, at the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of time. We all have to wrestle with who is Jesus because Jesus is the dominant historical character of all of time. Whether he's a fraud, whether it's an accident, or whether it's divine, Jesus has an impact on your life and on my life. And so we look to answer this question as truthfully as possible, who is Jesus? And as you're traveling on your spiritual journey, we want to explore that together as we look at the book of Matthew. You see, Matthew was an eyewitness to Jesus. Matthew was someone who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, believed in Jesus, followed Jesus. He saw the events, the teachings, the miracles, the claim miracles. He is the one who uh, had a life transformation experience because of Jesus, and he wrote down his book to help us see the answer to this question. Three other gospel writers did the same thing, and their writings have had the impact of introducing Jesus to the world. You see, the world that Matthew grew up in was expecting Jesus. Matthew grew up in a world that was informed by the Old Testament. They were looking for a coming Messiah, a savior of the world, someone who would be king and who would change the world. And Matthew says that this is found in Jesus. So Matthew writes to reintroduce Jesus to everyone who was looking for the coming Messiah. Jesus himself was this incredible character who burst onto the scene. Everybody during the lifetime of Jesus was talking about this penniless, homeless carpenter and how he was doing and teaching things. 
that were spectacular, that were unbelievable, and that he must have been from God. Everybody during Jesus's and Matthew's lifetime had to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? So Matthew writes down this book to introduce his friends, to introduce his peers to Jesus. And he writes down his book to introduce you and I to Jesus. We all have to wrestle again with this character, with this person, with this potentially God. So who is Jesus? That's what Matthew is answering. And in our first chapter, as we dive right into Matthew chapter 1, we're calling this series, Borrow the Reference from J.D. Greer, Jesus' Resume. You see, Matthew starts with a really interesting, uh, unique challenge to introducing Jesus. He starts with Jesus' resume, or his genealogy. And so in Matthew chapter 1, we have a list, a long list, of Jesus' ancestors pointing back to his bloodline. And the reason Matthew gives us this list of Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents is because he's letting us know that Jesus is qualified for the job that he claims to be completing. This, in Matthew chapter 1, is Jesus' resume. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to dive right into our Matthew series by going into Matthew chapter 1 together today. So grab that book, and we're going to dive into Jesus' resume, and we're going to be working in Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17. If you're a note taker, if you're starting a notebook, this is the beginning, and uh, you can start writing this down. On this day, we're tackling Matthew chapter 1. We're going to travel through this book together, as we said, over the course of the next year. And so you can keep a chronological note, uh, notebook. That would be a great thing to do. Or if you want to highlight things in your book, we're even researching the possibility of providing some Matthew notebooks for all of you. We'll keep you posted on that as we get a little further along in our study. So Jesus' resume, as we start in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll see how far we get today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. And again, these are the very first words in the entire New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, man, the, the start of a book is an incredibly important thing. And the first lines in the book have some incredible weight. You probably have your favorite book that has your favorite first line. Uh, the Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Maybe one of the most famous book openings of all. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God... An incredible opening to an incredible book. The New Testament starts with this line, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the roots of Jesus. Now, this one singular line has some incredible power to it. First, it's connecting us to the Old Testament. You're about to hear all kinds of names that come from the Old Testament. These are not just characters in history. These are characters that every person in the day of Matthew would have known. They would have known their stories. They would have known their journeys. They would have known the predictions connected to these names. They would have known if they were good characters or if they were tragic characters. And so this first line introduces us, connects us right back to the Old Testament. It says that these two things, this part of the Bible and this part of the Bible, are one. And then it gives us the name Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about the name Jesus? Have you ever thought about what it means and what it stands for? Well, in Matthew's book, this is where he starts, and this is what we need to understand today. First, Jesus. 
literally means, the quote, the literal translation of the Greek word Jesus is Jehovah is salvation. God, Yahweh, is the Savior. He is the salvation of the world. In Hebrew, Jesus is known as Joshua. And I am a particularly fond of the name Joshua. Did you know that my name means Savior? It's the same name. Now, when you take Jesus' name and you break it out to what it means and what it understands, this is what Jesus, that name, represents, the Son of God. It represents the Savior of mankind and God himself. In the name, in the title Jesus, and this was given to Mary from an angel, you shall call his name Jesus because he will be the Savior of the world. This is the genealogy of the Savior of the world. What qualifies him to be the Savior of the world? In just a moment, we're going to see that in Jesus' resume. The second part of the name is not Jesus' last name. Jesus' last name was not Christ. Jesus, Mary and Joseph were not the Christ family. That's not it at all. The word Christ is a title. Jesus the Christ. And Christ literally means anointed. In the Old Testament, when a king was anointed, they point, poured head on, excuse me, they poured oil on the head of the king. That meant that that, that young person was now to be a future king. He was anointed for a higher purpose to be the leader of a nation or of a people. The Christ is the anointed one who is going to be the Messiah, the King. So Jesus Christ is a divine Savior who rules the world. That's what this title means. Now here's, here's what's being introduced to you and I. Matthew is specifically saying this word as his first line on purpose because he wants you to understand that Jesus Christ is good news. This is the gospel in action. You are being shown some incredible news. This is a proclamation. This is an announcement. When Matthew was connecting Jesus to the Old Testament, he was saying, I've got good news. I've got an announcement to make. He's saying to his peers around him, there's some good news here for you and for me. The best news that we possibly have when he's talking to us now in the future, he's saying, listen, there's good news and the good news has arrived. It is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Matthew. This is the good news of Matthew. And the gospel is not something that just saves us. The gospel is something that informs our entire lives. When you become a follower of Jesus, this good news impacts everything. I want you to think about it this way. We are not, Jesus did not come to tell us what to do. Jesus came to tell us it is done. See, the good news is an announcement. It's not an instruction manual. And a lot of people look at Christianity as a list of rules and regulations of what you can and cannot do. That's not Christianity. That is a lot of religions in this world, but that's not Christianity. You see, there's been a lot of good advice in this world. There's been a lot of things that have been told to us about how to live and how to think and how to walk and how to act. And here's the problem with us today. We're not good at following advice. And Jesus is not just one more advice giver. Jesus is not one more person coming along the way to give us some instructions that we should consider. 
Jesus did not come to tell us how to live. Jesus came to tell us we can live. Jesus did not come to tell us what to do. He came to tell us it is, it is done. The Savior of the world, God himself, has arrived and he's ruling. He's in charge. It's done. It's taken care of. You see, every other religion in the world... All these other philosophies, all these other leaders have come to give good advice and they've pronounced themselves to be good people and that you should follow this incredible advice. What separates Christianity from the other religions? It's not about a set of rules and regulations. It's not about meeting a certain standard. It's about a relationship with a person, Jesus. It's about knowing a king who has already fixed our brokenness and our problems, who's already conquered death and sin, who already is working in and through you, whose kingdom is already in place and yet has a future fulfillment. We have this incredible opportunity to know and be saved by the king who has already done it. Who are you putting your hope in for tomorrow? Who are you trusting in to lead you through today? Can I say and invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus? He is calling you into a walk with him, into his kingdom, to be a part of his plan, and your future can be set if you accept Jesus as your personal savior. You see, we all need to understand that we are broken, that we are, are in need of saving. We can't be saved until we know we need it. And today, you know that you need a savior. If you are ready to say that you can't deal with your sins, then invite Jesus into your heart. Have a conversation with him, even in these moments. And let him know that you're sorry for your sin, that you believe Jesus came and is God himself. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And that you're ready to accept him as your personal savior. Become a follower of Jesus today. This is the good news that Matthew is proclaiming. And if you're not ready to make that decision in this moment, I want to invite you back with us each and every week as we talk about this. Listen, I'm a skeptic. I, I don't believe in Jesus just because my parents told me or because I read it in a book. I believe in Jesus because I have thought through what is the most plausible explanation for this character. What is it that, that we have to know in order to believe that someone actually rose from the dead? And I believe that Jesus' resurrection is the best explanation of events. And I have met Jesus personally. And he has changed my life. We want to learn more about that as we explore this together. And as you consider your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is good news. That's what Matthew does as he's reintroducing all of us to Jesus, the one who is good news. Now, Matthew chapter one goes on. We went through the first line. We're, it's going to take us 20 years if everything takes us this long, but we're going to go a little bit faster. Matthew chapter one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this introduction. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Right away, Matthew introduces us to two really huge characters from the Old Testament. King David, the writer of the Psalms, and Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And Jesus, or the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that he would come through the line of Abraham and David. No one else is qualified to be the Messiah if they are not from the line of Abraham and David. So, what we are being connected to immediately are two promises. David's promise is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and there's other places where you can find it. But to David, God says this, Your house 
and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Before me, your throne shall be established forever. God made a promise to David that David's kingdom, David's kingship would be established. There would be someone sitting on the throne forever. And that coming Messiah who would be of the line of David would be the king of the world, the king of all nations, the king of all people, the savior of the world, the king of the world would be related to David. To Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is told, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sands on the sea. You see, Abraham was told to count the sand and to count the stars. We can't do it. God then promised that his offspring would be as many as that. There would be that many people who would call Abraham father. You see, Abraham was an old man at this point with no kids. Abraham was standing in a place where he had no heritage. He had no uh, nobody to carry on the family name, yet he was getting this promise. And it said, uh, as the sands on the sea and as your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed. This seed that came from Abraham would be a blessing to all people. You see, when Matthew is introducing us or reintroducing us to Jesus, he is telling everyone who was looking for the Messiah, all of his peers, and all of us in the future, that Jesus Christ is prophecy fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the only character in history who fulfills all of the prophecies set forth, and there are over 40 of them in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And these genealogical prophecies, these bloodline prophecies, are some of the most difficult prophecies to fulfill. Nobody can manipulate this. You can't make someone be someone else's great-great-great-great-grandparents. You can't make that up. You can't, you can't be a part of it. These are people that lived for hundreds of years. And each and every step of the way, God was moving in the, in the, in the, flow of time so that there would be only one qualified person to be called the Son of God, to be called the Messiah. And when Matthew lays out Jesus' resume, Jesus' genealogy, he ties them directly to both David and Abraham. And he's the only one. Mathematically, statistically, impossible. So, through Abraham... We have blessings to all nations. Who is Jesus, this prophecy fulfilled? He's the one that will bring blessing to all nations. And through David, we have a king for all people. The genealogy is pointing out that this Jesus is the king that will sit on the throne forever. So what can we walk away with this morning? Well, I want to tell you, out of love, stop acting like you're the king of the world. When we look at Jesus, if we are a follower of Jesus, we are acknowledging Jesus as king. But how many days of the week do I go around acting like I'm the king of my world? Like I'm the boss of me. When you are a follower of Jesus, when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you put him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords of your throne and on your life. He will be blessing to all people and a king to all nations. Who would you rather have be the king of the world? Would you have it be you with your limited knowledge and understanding? Or would you ha have it be the creator of the universe who knows all and has all power? 
When we look at Jesus as king, as the God of this world, we are now resting in the truth that he has got it. When I understand Jesus is king, I am now conquering two of the darkest sins that we all carry. Number one, pride, and number two, control. We think that we're often the ones that have to be in control. We're the only ones that can handle it. But when I turn over my pride to humility, God, I give it all to you. When I turn over my control to his control, God, I, I will follow where you lead. Then we allow Jesus to have full reign in our lives. There's a man by the name Tim Keller who was a pastor in New York City. He's written a lot of books. But very recently, uh, Pastor Tim was diagnosed with cancer. And he's began treatments. He has a highly aggressive uh, terminal form of cancer. Just this week, I was listening to him on a podcast, and Tim was talking about his battle with cancer and what he's learning from it. And here's a man who has believed in Jesus and followed Jesus for his entire life. And when he got cancer, he had to answer the question, who is Jesus? And in these moments, one of the lessons that he learned and something that he said, a paraphrase for you here, is when we make heaven heaven, earth becomes more enjoyable. In other words, when we start living for heaven, when we start finding that our treasures need to be in heaven, that we, that we aren't as concerned with the things of this world and building up our own kingdoms, when we make God's kingdom the priority, then what we have here on earth becomes more enjoyable. You see, because of his cancer diagnosis, he has been forced to think about his eternity. That, that life is short. That one day and one day soon, he will step into glory. And what waits for him there is Jesus the King. And so he lives for that King. And as he looks back on his life, he sees that every day as he's been fighting for the things of this world and, and for the work to get done and for the food to be prepared, that all of those concerns made life less enjoyable. But when he starts living for the King, the blessings that you have, the meals that you go on, the hugs that you give your loved ones, the, the walks that you take in the evening, the sunset that you watch becomes all the more powerful because he realized that Jesus is the King and he is not. And Tim says that he's not fighting cancer, he's fighting sin. You see, God lays out our path for us. God is the king of the world. And if my path includes cancer, then so be it. I trust in God's plan. And if I truly trust in God's plan, then I will be able to have peace and joy and confidence, even admit sorrow. But he's constantly battling anxiety and fret and concern and trying to take back control. When we live as Jesus is king, we give him all the control. Stop acting like you're the king of the world and let Jesus be king. We continue on with Jesus' resume as we go down Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, and we're going to jump into the genealogy. Now, I'm not going to attempt to read these names. That would be ridiculous. You already know that I'm dyslexic and I can't spell anything, let alone reading a bunch of names that come from another language. So let me just put it up here on the board for you, and we'll make a couple highlights as we travel through this. We start with Abraham, and that's where Matthew starts. He starts with his greatest grandfather, and he connects Jesus directly to Abraham. We have Abraham and then his son Isaac, who Abraham almost sacrificed on the altar. Isaac's son Jacob, and then it continues to go on. What I want you to notice as we read through this particular resume or this genealogy 
is that there are included throughout the genealogy women, which is very unusual for a Jewish genealogy. Usually they only highlighted the men. But these men and these women have some incredible stories, and their stories are stories of brokenness. You see, Tamar's pregnancy and her eventual birth of Perez is not a good story. She tricks Judas, uh, Judah into the action that resulted in the son. She almost lost her life because of it, yet God uses it in his genealogy to bring forth the king of the world. Ruth and Boaz's story are incre- is an incredibly romantic story, but yet there's some, there's some shadiness that happens there. And down in David's part of the genealogy, David's and Uriah's wife, they don't even name Jesus' great-great-great-grandmother in this because this story is a story of brokenness. David and, if you know the story, you know it was Bathsheba. And this story is written because David had an affair with Bathsheba. And as the king, David brought back Uriah, who was a soldier in his army. And Uriah refused to have relations with his own wife. And then David had Uriah killed by putting him in the front line of the battle. And so in this genealogy alone, in just this one section, we have, yes, kings and princes, but we also have murderers and prostitutes laid out in this first section of the genealogy. The genealogy goes on, and you have kings who remain in here, and yes, more prostitutes, more brokenness, and more stories of angst, of heartache, people who turned their back on God, and people who followed God passionately. Solomon, who had hundreds of wives and concubines, and the same to his son, who was also a prince and a king of Israel. And Jesus' line and Jesus' resume continues, but this resume is not just the best of his life and genealogy and family tree. It includes the worst of his life and his genealogy and his family tree. And as these names continue, you follow it all the way down through Matthean and then Jacob, who, who gave birth to Joseph. And remember, Jacob and Joseph were separated when Joseph was slow, uh, or excuse me, Jacob and then Joseph, that's not that same Joseph, and Mary. Mary then gave birth to Jesus, the Christ. This is the story. This is the bloodline of Jesus. So what do we learn from it? Jesus works through broken people. Jesus works through broken people. Jesus works through brokenness. You say, there's a, there's a famous verse in the Bible, in, in the book of Romans, that say, all things work together for good to those that love him. All things work together for good to those that love him. And so as we think about who Jesus is, I got a phone call while I was recording this, and I tried to pretend like it didn't happen, but it happened. It was my wife, and I just hung up on her. So let me go back through this. Jesus works through brokenness, and Jesus works through broken people. All things work together for good to those that love him. In the story of Jesus, there is an incredible amount of brokenness. Yet, God and his divine plan is working it all together for good. For the good of the world, to be a blessing to all nations, and for the good of the kingdom of God. You see, 
God's mercy works in your brokenness for our good. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how broken the situation, God is still a good God and God is still a merciful God who lays out a promise that says, if you love me and if you follow me, I can work through your brokenness for good. No matter how dark it gets, God still provides the light. I want you to think about the mercy of God and your story. So many people choose not to meet God and not to follow God because they think it's too far gone, that they've done too much, that they're not worthy, that they're too dirty. And how could a God ever love someone as awful as them? In Jesus' own family tree, you have the worst of the worst and God used them for his glory. So can God do it for you. And remember, Jesus came not to tell us what to do, but that it's already done. And your sin and your brokenness has already been forgiven. When you lay it at the foot of the cross, it has already been covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, yes, Jesus, loves even you. And in his mercy, he wants to use you and your brokenness and your broken story and your broken past for his good and for our best. So do you trust Jesus in even amidst brokenness? I heard a great song that we're going to end with in just a couple of minutes. And the song says this, your mercy. I don't deserve your mercy. That you would reach down for me and keep me as your own. So for your glory, I'm living for your glory. I live to tell the story of your unfailing love. No matter where you've been, no matter how broken it is, Jesus can fix the brokenness, Jesus can repair the damage, and Jesus can work all things together for good if you will just love him and live for his glory. There's a book that recently came out, the book called Before I Split, about marriage. And the author of this book is a pastor's wife. And the pastor is a well-known pastor, and uh, uh, Carrie Newhoff, and his wife's name is Tony, and, and she's put out this book very recently, but it details their deep marriage struggles that they had even while he was planting and pastoring a church. And their marriage got so dark and so broken that they were convinced that it was over, which meant for them ministry was over, that, the, that what they thought God had called them to do would be over. But, but Tony tells the story from her perspective about how even in their darkest, most broken moments, when they leaned in on God and who he was and decided to dedicate their lives to God's plan, that God worked through the brokenness, all for the good. In this story, God allowed their marriage to survive. God allowed their marriage not only to survive, but to be stronger than ever. And I know that even now, in the midst of this pandemic, there are marriages out there where People say it's over, it's hopeless. There is no way that this broken relationship could be fixed. And Tony would stand up and tell you, I thought the same thing, but I remembered that God can fix broken things. Why? Because God fixed my broken heart and my broken soul. God has fixed my sin. God is in the business of fixing broken things and broken people, and God can fix your broken marriage. What does he ask you to do? Well, he asks you to simply live for his glory. Make the choice that God wants you to make, even if it doesn't make sense. Submit to his rule and to his kingship and watch him work it out. When your marriage is broken, you need to ask the question, 
who is Jesus? And in asking that question, you then begin to make progress towards God using, yes, even this broken moment for good. God uses brokenness for his good. Matthew chapter 1 and all the way in verse 17, then after the study of this genealogy says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And all from David to the deportation of Babylon were 14 generations. And then from the deportation to Babylon to Christ were 14 generations. There's a couple of things here that we could get into, and we'll dive into this stuff a little bit more, maybe in a live talk back online at another time as we study the book of Matthew more in depth in some other settings. One, we're being attached to the number seven. 14 divided by two is seven. And this, this is three sets of seven that are being brought together. We're also being told about this, this perfect number, bringing him back a, about a perfect person, Jesus. And all of that could be talked about just from this verse. But here's what I really want you to see today. As we go through this genealogy, and it's been set up for us by Matthew, it's not all conclusive, it's not even a chronological book, but it's designed to show us those generations in, in three sets of 14 that bring us to this culmination in history when Jesus was born. You see, Jesus is the author and the point of history. All of these events that happened throughout time have led us to this moment where Jesus introduces and establishes his kingdom. And this kingdom is a not yet kingdom. It's here. It's here in some form. You're allowed to be a part of it, but his kingdom is still to be, and it will be perfected. And God is authoring history and is the point of all of this history so that we can be a part of this story. And here's an incredibly powerful truth. You are a small part of a long story, and God's not done yet. You are a small part of a long story, and God's not done yet. And sometimes when we look at everything that's happening in this world, we look at our families, we look at our work, we look at our jobs, we look at the year 2020 and 2021, we look at our political situation in our nation, we feel like it's the biggest, most momentous thing in the world. But really, we are a small part of God's story. These moments are just a fraction of the time that God is working through history. And how quickly do we lose our perspective and do we lose our patience? We think that God has to fix it now. As a matter of fact, I can get any piece of information, any piece of food that I want right now. I've got fast food and I've got, uh, I've got the World Wide Web. We are a spoiled nation and a spoiled people and a spoiled generation. And we demand answers in these moments. But we don't have all the answers now. Why? Because we are a part of a small story. A small moment of a large story. And God is working in and through all of history. And his plan is wider and broader and bigger than any of us. Yet he can take care of, yes, us, little insignificant us, with these moments. So you ask the question, who is Jesus? And whether you've been diagnosed with cancer and you're not sure where it's going to lead, Tim Keller would say, ask the question, who is Jesus? Because if he is the miracle worker, if he is the healer, if he is the planner of history, then I can be confident in Jesus. I can know that if he is in control and if he loves me, I can go through this cancer diagnosis. 
If you're finding yourself in a marriage that's just disintegrating, what do you need to ask? You need to ask the question, who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is the author of love, if he's the author and the finisher of your faith, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, if Jesus is love himself, then Jesus can take even this broken thing and he can fix it. He can take even this brokenness and he can use it for your good and you can trust Jesus in this path. If you are someone who's sitting here in the middle of a pandemic saying, where is God? God is present. You need to ask yourself, who is Jesus? Whether you're, you're bankrupt and your banker is saying you've got no more money, whether you've lost your job, whether you've got a child that's walked away, whether you're trying to figure out uh, what to do with the rest of your life, whether you're trying to figure out what to do with your church and your faith, you need to ask the question, who is Jesus? You see, even as a church planner and as a pastor, as we think about the church that we're trying to build, Branch Life Church, in the name of Jesus, and we give him this church and this place, we have to first ask ourselves as a church, Branch Life Church, who is Jesus? Because we are building his church on his name and for his good. And we know that if we can grow in our relationship with Jesus, in our walk with Jesus, we are walking with the king of the world and that he has the life and the trajectory of Branch Life Church already set. We're not starting with programs. We're not starting with strategy. We're starting with a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, know me, know me that I am the king of the world. Trust in me that I am good news, that I am prophecy fulfilled, that I am walking you through this world and the author of history. And I will show you, I will show you how to live. I will show you the choices that you can make. And as Matthew starts this book, he introduces you and I to Jesus. And yes, we're going to hear the teaching of Jesus. We're going to hear instructions. We're going to hear about wisdom. We're going to hear about godly living. We're going to hear about end times. We're going to hear about deep theology. We first need to know who Jesus is. And today, we've been introduced to that Jesus. I want to encourage you to take your next step, whatever that may be. And on our website at branchlife.church, you can find some resources that I want to make available to you. And if you go to the Next Step tab, you'll find some of these cards and some of other options. Maybe you're ready to join the church. Maybe you're ready to be baptized. Maybe you're ready uh, to, to get some questions answered about your particular uh, faith journey. At that Next Step cards, it's there. And maybe today you have questions about the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer for salvation, we'd love for you to let us know in the chat, or you can go to the gospel card on our website, and you can get more information there, and you can respond to the gospel message and let us know through that card. You don't have to respond through that card. There's more information for you or for anyone that you're sharing the gospel with there, but we would love for you to meet Jesus there if you've not met him yet. But for everyone, we would love for you to take this next step of filling out your connection card. And let's listen together to what God has for us in these moments. So we're going to end with that song that I talked about earlier, Your Mercy. We want to play this song, and I want to ask you to have a season of prayer and reflection and to do a little bit of homework during this time. Go ahead and fill out your connection card. Even if you just put your name and let us know you worshiped with us today, that's all that we ask. 
But if you can share with us a prayer request, or if you have a question that you would like to be answered, who knows, maybe we'll answer this question during the study. Or if you have a response or something that was encouraging you today, we'd love to hear about that on your connection card. So let's take these few moments together to quiet our spirits, to hear from God and respond. Let me open this with a word of prayer. Lord, as we think about this first section of Matthew today, we thank you, we thank you, God, for how you move in our lives. And we we want to know Jesus more and better than ever. God, help us to, to know him. God, as you introduce him to us, help us, God, to put Jesus in his proper place. If there are any, Lord, that are struggling with their own personal faith, I pray that in these moments they would accept Jesus as a personal Savior. And God, for those of us that know Jesus, but maybe we've been the king of our own world, I pray, God, that we would allow Jesus to rule and reign in our lives, no matter the situation that we find ourselves in, trusting in him to be the author and the finisher of our faith. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Hey, I hope that song was encouraging to you. It's been encouraging to me. You can find that at Austin Stone Worship. It's called Your Mercy. I want to invite you to join us back next week as we dive into week two of Reintroducing Jesus. We're going to continue on in Matthew chapter one as we travel through this incredible book together and uncover some incredibly valuable truths. So we hope that you'll make it a point to be with us, whether live on Sunday at 10 a.m. or at some point later uh, on demand Worship with us together next week. Thanks so much for being here this week, and I pray that God blesses you as you go from here.